Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable. On the back of our recent interview with Dr. Ivan Meisner, founder of BNI, Tim Kutiris, the CEO of Philodemo Global and Backable, is once again joined by co-host and COO of the Philodemo Group, Alana Harari. And today we delve deeper into some of the key principles that Ivan used to grow his organization into the world's largest networking group. Breaking them down, showing you how you can use them in your business to achieve consistent growth and scale. It's a great episode. Hope you enjoy. So we were lucky enough this week to interview Dr. Ivan Meisner, who started BNI, the world's largest business networking organization. And speaking to Dr. Meisner, or Ivan as he likes to be called, you work out that people that have had international success, they, they've got a hell of a lot to share. And, and particularly if you're out there growing your business and you're going through different stages, different plateaus, things that you're considering, things that you want to do. When you get to someone who's had that level of success, it's important to try and, I guess, get into their mind around what were the principles that got them to break through. And obviously here on Backable, we're always looking for those little insights, the snippets, the ideas, the decisions that needed to be made to push through to get to the next level. Because when you're dealing with a lot of businesses, as we do, you see the ones that go to different levels. And it's not a lot of the time the ability of the business owner or the founder. There's a mindset around times when you have to make different decisions. And one of the great things we got out of the conversation, and Nigel and I were both on that conversation, was Ivan's principles that he's summarized over his career. The things that he believes have been the breakthrough moments in the difference between having a single networking group to growing a essentially an international conglomerate, something that I think now has about 2,700 different chapters. Nigel, I think we were talking about last year alone inside the network was about $16 billion, almost $17 billion of business being done through the network, which is just incredible. So 9,700 chapters, 270 plus thousand members. To be specific. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's quite incredible. And, and what we wanted to do today is we, we went through Ivan's principles. And there's a few that really stood out. And there's a few that I think are really worth discussing in depth because they, if you understand these and if you get them on a level which becomes part of the way you operate, you're really going to accelerate your business. And, and a lot of these principles are universal. But as we all know, that the real nuance of all of these things working is in how you apply them and the way you think about them. So, Lana, Nigel, let's explore a few of them because it's well worth discussing. I think it challenges us to think about our own growth in our own business and the points in which we want to accelerate, or more importantly, the ways in which we need to evolve our current behaviours into things that are going to be more conducive to success on a larger scale. And I think that's really important for anyone who's listening to this and you hear the principles. It's very easy to say, yep, I get it. I can do that. Not a problem. But there's a very big difference between Dr. Meisner and you possibly. And I think that that's something that anyone listening can take away from this, not in a bad way, but what is it that he's done differently with what could be a universal principle and what could be a really easy idea that's made him backable, that's made him this international successful businessman. And I think that that's really where the key comes into it. Successful people and backable people take what is simple and they make it successful. Yeah. And, and in the simplicity, I, I think it's even when you look at minimalist architecture, things that look so simple is where the total mastery is. It's not what needs to be included. It's what needs to be excluded. I don't want to dumb the conversation down that it's simple, just follow the same things. It's understanding the depth of simplicity and understanding what shouldn't be there. And also understanding that as we go through this journey as smaller business owners to bigger business owners, that we have to unlearn a lot of the things we do or apply the same principle in a different way with a different focus. And we've learned this a lot with our companies, especially when you're self-funded, because we've, we've come at it from starting with zero, not making any money, to earning a little bit of money, then working out how do we do all these sort of things that go through. And we've got to constantly remind each other that what worked yesterday will be broken tomorrow. And that's actually a great thing, even though we'll continue to be frustrated <laughs> by it because we're human. 
but it but it, it's important, isn't it? And that probably leads on to personally one of my preferred principles that I was able to take away from it. And it comes back to persistence, which is a skill set of mine, sometimes to my own detriment. And it's the idea of do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. And it's something that from our businesses we've learnt and we've unlearnt and we've learnt again and we've unlearnt again. But when you are growing, the things that bore you are actually the things that make you successful. They're the things that get your business to the next level, but they're also the things that a lot of people listening will be the first thing to go when the new bright and shiny comes into it. And from my point of view, that's the difference between someone who is successful and someone who just sort of keeps going. Yeah, there's a universal law to that, isn't it? I mean, Ivan talks, a, uh, you know, his sort of principle is do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. As a universal law, I mean, Bruce Lee said the same thing, which was, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. It's the same universal truth around mastery. Ivan spoke about it in depth and we'll, we'll go into in terms of his application to his organisation. But also heard a great interview with 50 Cent and he was just talking about his superpowers being persistent and consistent. Love him or hate him, but he's got some really interesting principles of where he's been able to pull himself from to reach phenomenal success. But I think this whole idea of, we see it in smaller companies, they get bored of doing the same thing, even if it's working. And a lot of the time that idea comes from the fact that they're not looking at the end goal. So they're they're looking at effort or they're looking at their level of boredom as opposed to actually looking at the result that it's getting. And if you celebrate effort too much as opposed to result, of course it's going to get boring. But if you do the mundane and the boring, if that's what we're going to call it, but it keeps getting you the result, shouldn't you be happy with the fact that you're getting the result? Because that's what we're here for. Absolutely. And I think this is maybe that first transition point where this principle can be taken in a couple of ways. The first thing you need to do with something new is put enough volume into a new strategy, a new tactic, a new idea, a new business. You actually have to get a base level of volume because I think the first thing that people fall down in this area is they do things that don't work, but actually there hasn't been enough volume in there to get enough data points. And I talk about data points and a data point could just be, I had 10 sales calls and I got zero. It's not enough because you're ringing the same type of person. So it's actually doing, say, a thousand phone calls and getting a real idea of what the feedback is, where most people give up before there is enough evidence based on what that is. So they go, oh, no, this doesn't work because I've gone to two networking meetings and haven't got a lead. Or this digital strategy doesn't work, which is a good one for you, Lana, because we put $100 in and no one clicked through to the website. We have to understand that the first thing is understanding what amount of volume should be put in to almost tick off the effort criteria for this experiment. For me, this is one that's done really poorly. It's either not enough volume in that or too much. (laughs) So people who just do more and more of the same thing because they're going to hustle their way through it, but actually it's non-strategic. So there's a diminishing return after a certain amount of volume. That's hours invested, whatever it is. Now, I'd rather have someone who spends too much time doing things that don't work than not putting in enough effort to get that because you can easily adjust that. But it it is important, isn't it? Because there's a fine balance between enough and too much to get that optimal, I guess, growth rate. And I think we're just talking about balance, which can say it doesn't exist. But what we're saying is that to do six things a thousand times means you've given it a red hot crack. You've been able to see, is this going to work for me? Have I become a master if it's working? Or if it's not working, one of those six things will drop off and it will be replaced by something that, again, you'll do it a thousand times. And it is the idea of bright and shiny. Everyone almost wants to be the entrepreneur, which is absolutely fine. We're talking about sustained business growth to build to success, which is do consistent efforts with an outcome at the end of it and celebrate that outcome. If the outcome is that didn't work, awesome. Still celebrate the fact that you got there. And you can now use that data or that information or that experience to get to that next level. And that's what Dr. Meisner is talking about. Do something enough to see what the outcome is. And if the outcome is positive, keep going. If the outcome doesn't give you what you want, change it. 
it's also when things work and keep going. I think a lot of people then either they get bored of doing the same thing so they want to get bigger, but they forget that your job as the leader is now to get your organization doing those, in this case, six things a thousand times. So your organization needs to repeat that every single day in a consistent manner. Even if you're not focused in that area anymore, you have to set that up as the leader, which is, well, I know this works, so I need to make sure that my business can keep producing this. So you still keep growing, but the things that work must be replicated over and over again. And this is where a lot of small businesses are difficult to deal with because they want bigger contracts, they want better contracts, they want more volume. But what they don't actually have is a mechanism to control the volume and be consistent because they're trying to do so many things when there's variables that come up in each part of their business. They actually get sloppy in those areas and they lose the credibility or the faith in the market because they can't consistently produce something with high volume because they're always trying and changing and doing things before they get the thing they do well, completely replicatable with different variables coming in, if that makes any sense. And I guess that comes back to the idea of boredom, why you would do a thousand things six times. Because it can seem boring. It can be mundane and it can feel like you're actually not progressing. But if you give it the time and it's successful, that is what progression is. Yeah. We laugh all the time because we get clients coming and going, you know, my sales was working for six months and now we've had a slowdown in it. And I go, great. What are you doing differently? Well, we got too busy, so we're not doing these things at the top. Or, you know, we've had to cut back on a few of the networking or a few of this. So we've taken some budget out of the digital marketing because we wanted to invent a new product. So everything that was working, you noticed and you acknowledged. And then what you started to do is start chipping away at the things that work. And now you wonder why they're not working. So you had the perfect formula. And then you decided, oh, because it's working, you get confident, you start taking out the small pieces that seemingly have no real relevance to it. But actually, you look at it, I mean, we've we've spoken about the analogy (laughs) of baking a cake. This recipe works every damn time. I'm going to remove the eggs. (laughs) Oh, why does it taste so crap? But I know that even (laughs) with, with Philodomo, we have to remind everyone that we've got a task which is creating time. And that is... How do you make sure that you're spending appropriate amounts of time on the things that you should be spending it on and not doing tasks that you shouldn't? This should be done every three to six months because things creep back onto your list. And it's really simple to say, I've done it once, I know. It's not the knowing, it's the actual doing. Education versus application. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution, Nigel. And that will be all I'll say for this entire episode. It's nice to hear your voice, it's soothing. <laughs> But that's right, isn't it? And what we're talking about now is if you're in a smaller business or you're growing or you're at a breakthrough point or you're deciding that you you feel you can do something bigger, faster, you want to grow and all these things, which hopefully a lot of the people listening now have ambition to see how far you can go in this game, see how you can challenge yourself and keep growing. Well, this is that consistency. You, you need to build a culture where people are rewarded for doing the things well consistently, not as an organization getting bored because it can actually creep in by not celebrating the mundane that's been done because we're all excited when something new happens. And then we start looking at the bright and shiny. So energetically within the organization, everyone's looking to be a hero to do the next thing as opposed to rewarding. We've been able to do this consistently over the last six months and we reward that. You actually have to create behaviors that people want to do the same things over and over again. People understand the mastery and that we respect that because I think a lot of the times in these businesses people culturally shift when the thing is not bright and shiny anymore and then they wonder why they keep going into this infinite yo-yo of up and down up and down because every time you are successful in an area you then start the downward spiral of chipping away at it till it's not we've got to realize that we're all going to chase bright and shiny it's always going to be something that we want to do and I think that's part of the from the conversation we had with Ivan That idea of controlled experiments to go in with the growth of the business. So rather than every the whole business going, oh, look at that star over there and the entire business shifting, you go, we're going to do this consistently. Hey, we've got this idea from a top performer over here that may add to what we're doing. So let them do it, track the data, and if it works, change that. So it still adds that element of bright and shiny into it, but it's a controlled way of adding to what you're doing, not just running from one side of the field to the other. 
yeah, even when you free up cash, just throwing it at something that's bright and shiny as opposed to building on the things that work. So if you've got someone who's great at growth or a business development manager that's really successful, could you double that? People look at scale by doing something different as opposed to doing more of what works and systemizing that bigger. Like look at an analogy of McDonald's. Imagine if their first store was working so well, so the next one they decided, let's see if we can do a pizza shop that does the same down the road. No, they replicated the same thing over and over again and could do that in every country in the world, essentially. And it's in smaller businesses where everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel as opposed to replicating what works internally in your business to grow faster because then it becomes exciting because you've got a machine that's growing itself. And it does take a certain sort of a person to not necessarily want bright and shiny. Looking at myself here, who's quite happy doing the (laughs) mundane back-to-back. And Tim, you don't like the mundane. No, I love the mundane back-to-back as long as it's the organisation producing it. (laughs) For me, I go a little nuts doing that. But if you're an entrepreneurial archetype, then you need to work out how to afford to bring in people that can replicate the mundane and make sure the business is doing the things it needs to do in order to consistently grow and not just grow, but sustain its current levels while you're doing these experiments. But maybe that's a good jump off point to a second principle, which, you know, it's one that I, um, I've subscribed to since doing a degree in it. But also for all of our businesses, we start day one from systemization, create systems, write down everything and teach people what you've written down, which is if you want any form of sustained success and volume, you need to have structures, which you then, <laughs> the word for structures is systems and process for others to be able to learn. Because we see a lot of great businesses that grow fast and then someone leaves and they're the person who takes all the intelligence from that part of the business and it's essentially starting that department again. It's horrible at the time because it slows you down so much. My favourite topic of systems and processes. So I recently had a meeting where I was teaching a business how to build systems and processes and something that kept coming up was, but it's going to take us so long. There's going to be so much time and energy and effort and once we've written it down, what then do we do with it? Yeah. Yes, it is going to take you a long time because you're going to systemize your entire business from how you answer the door and the phone through to how you send out payslips. I've got a digital agency, how you build a digital strategy, consulting. How do you make sure that everything is tracked? And so every business has got their own entity. But for me, this idea of creating systems, writing it down and teaching people, it should take you a long time because you've got such pride in your business and you actually want to be successful. So again, okay, it might seem simple and universal, but if you haven't yet done it, that's the key. With that, I think a lot of us are probably guilty of working or dealing with bigger companies where we've been frustrated. Because you might be speaking to someone on the phone or you might be dealing with a situation that's come up with you and they seem so unflexible or inflexible with dealing with your specific problem because you see a way and it could be logically solved if you did this, this and this. And we get frustrated at that. But the reason they're a big company is because they need more robust rules around their systems and processes or it would be just an absolute dog's breakfast. And for those of you that don't understand that expression overseas, a dog's breakfast means (laughs) it's absolutely messed up. It would be disorganized. You can't run a big organization if people can consistently put their ideas into the systems. Obviously, you want some flexibility and human interaction, but at some stages, the reason that system's there is because of what's broken down previously and they understand something that we don't. Now, it's very frustrating sometimes on the other end of it when you're trying to get someone to change a system because it doesn't seem logical. But that's part of a process, whereas smaller businesses have the complete opposite. Everyone is basically doing their best thing based on who's dealing with the problem. So you hope that people use logic, but logic is very different for me, that's very different for Milana, that's very different to Nigel. You can't run a business like that at, at a certain level. And this is the big transition around systems and processes is people um, feel like they're becoming corporatized. So you've got these young, small, agile companies. Oh, we don't want to do too many systems. We don't ever want to be corporate. They go, 
well, that's why you're always going to be small because you need some of those structures in there. And we have to understand that you need to want to have things where people can work within a framework so they can be successful. Systems shouldn't be about slowing people down. It should be around giving people some structures and boundaries to work in so they can perform better. Human nature, people just want to be told what it is. They want to feel like they've got the freedom to change and grow, but they also want to be told this is how it's done. Then you've got two sides, people who put their opinion in it and people who just do it. But that's also the joy of a business is you can make it better and at a point it is whatever is presented is what the system is. And I don't want to say good businesses, I'll say agile businesses, buzzword, are those that can build on a system and make it better as they go. Yeah, they need to evolve. Mm. And you know, we, we used to get frustrated because our systems would have to be rewritten every six months because we were growing so fast that we were breaking them every six months. And it was really frustrating because we spent so much energy and effort building up systems and then sitting there and go, well, basically these are all redundant now. Yeah, And that's very frustrating for smaller businesses. And I think that's probably where we initially may have got it wrong is we were too systemized too early. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's too much wasted resource. We definitely are guilty of this. We try and get everything running well, but when you grow, those things just, they're a nice basis, but they have to be rewritten. So if you're running a company at the moment, you go, we shouldn't be systemizing yet. Well, you've got to understand that you're going to rewrite these things a few times. And it might not be you writing them, by the way. So when we talk about writing systems, we have a lot of people who evolve systems based on the position. So if someone gets promoted or someone gets responsibility in an area, they get to write the systems again or review the current system and evolve them, sort of make them their own, put them their spin on it and do it that way where you used to specifically learn to write them all yourself, which is fine at the start, but it's not very good when you've got a bigger organisation. The important thing with that and where it really shows how you guys have evolved as leaders is that before you used to put people in, this is in the early days, and go run at it, make whatever changes you need. Now you refuse to let somebody have input into a system until they have used it first, until they have broken it. (laughs) Much to the pain of every team member. (laughs) If you guys are listening, I'm not even sorry because it makes it better because they have experience of it. And this is something that I'm actually working on right now. We're building up a online system for a business and we've come to every single strategy and tactic that we work with has got some form of a workbook, a how-to, a step-by-step. And it sounds really simple, but how are these going to be housed in this online portal? The person that I'm working with on this has experienced this for 12 months and we're having really great discussions now because he has seen all of the problems that come up with people using them and has a completely different opinion than he did 12 months ago. And this platform, this process is now going to be so much better because it's not just my opinion. It's the opinion of someone who has experienced it. And the same person has, happens to have completely different experiences outside work to me. So the two of us coming together has made it better for that one sole fact. Yeah. They've experienced the problem and the solution. They have an informed opinion, therefore their opinion carries weight. Yes. At any stage in your business, say up to sort of 10 mil, You get to a point when you start off when you're happy to bring in a small core team and you're just allowing everyone to have input because the impact's a bit different. There's not a system there, so the person who's just come in, you may as well give input because it's better than not having something there, so it's okay. When you start to establish yourself and been doing it in a certain way and there's enough volume that's gone through the business, you have to protect the systems. People have to earn the right to adjust them. And the barrier to being able to change them has to be, well, you know what they are because everyone can come in. This is, the, <laughs> this is the consultant's playbook of life. I'm going to come in with fresh eyes and tell you what you're doing wrong based on my theory and how I've seen it work. But they don't understand the resources yet, the conditions, all the nuances that happen in a business. That is, this is how it should be done. And it's not how it should be done. It's how it has been done in different businesses. So we're very protective right now of We want all our systems to be broken by other people. Once you can come from a point of, I've used it and this is where I can see innovation can occur. And this is this whole thing early on. We're allowing people just to change the system because there was a better way. But even the person using it, everyone's going to go to the lowest common denominator of what's easiest for me. That can't happen. You actually have to build a structure that allows a whole lot of different people to be able to use this system. And this is 
I guess on the surface sounds like a boring topic, but it's not. It's really everything. It's where innovation's born. It's where gaps are found. It's where scenarios are planned for in the future that you know that will happen, that the system can then protect them. It's where you free up the CEO's time if you're a smaller business because the less you have to deal with little things that the systems can get out of your way, the more you start freeing your time up as a leader to do the things that really grow the business at a different level, innovate and change. And just on that, that's the final part of the principle and where I personally have seen the most pushback on a system teach people what you've written down. A good system is one that anyone can use. And quite often, if you're the only person in the business building it, you'll build it for what makes sense to you. If you like videos, it'll be a video system. If you like step-by-step, it'll be a step-by-step system. And so part of the reason why we say not only can everyone have an opinion, but they also have had to earn that right, is because a good system is used by all. And so to have different people's inputs in it, while it might not make logical sense to someone who might like video, it will make logic sense to the person who likes it a different way. And that's really key is that when you teach people, it has to be teachable to everyone who's going to take that role, not just you or the person developing it. Yeah. And that's the big mistake that we make as leaders is we think the way we think is the right way a lot of the time. And it's not the right way. The right way is what gets everyone doing it in a simple way. Everyone's got different learning abilities. Everyone's got a different way of processing information. If you give someone a folder and go learn our systems, it's just not going to work. You know, we get excited about products we develop and services we develop in our businesses, but your systems are your internal product and service. It is the innovation, your IP, the way of operating, the way of teaching, I laughed at this the other day. Once upon a time, I worked at McDonald's for my one of my first or second jobs. I can't remember. And they are so systemized. And I was obsessed with how good it was from a systemization point of view. Where their genius was, was they were able to teach 15-year-olds how to be chefs in two hours. So I went in there to cook burgers. And within an hour and a half, I had 90% of the whole menu mastered. Now, think about that at the time compared to every other restaurant. Their systems were a strategic advantage for changing the whole profitability model of a restaurant. You literally could get someone in there to replicate the same burger as someone who's been there for 10 years in an hour. That, from a competition innovation point of view, it's not front-facing or client-facing because they don't look at this, but from the back end, it changed the whole economic driver. I mean, I get very excited about systems and processes because I know if we find those innovations, we can outcompete any competitor because we're working on different margins. So if we can free up 20% extra revenue, we've got 20% more revenue to compete with, to advertise, to market, to save. This is the thing people don't understand about that. Systems and processes is IP and innovation and can have a major economic impact on your entire organisation. So if you were to give the McDonald's example to a chef, they would be mortified. You have absolutely ruined the mastery of cooking. But that's not what this is about. And quite often, if you're too close to a system, you won't be able to do it properly. And it's where leaders should often hand off the development of systems to the implementation team around it. Because quite often you'll disagree with how it's laid out because it's not your way of doing But in the McDonald's example, they were there to make really good food that people would like quickly. They weren't there to be chefs. And I think that this is where systems, you have to make sure that the right people are doing the developing of the building of it because you can't be too close to a system in its initial build. As it's built and you test it and you trial it, that's when you add the finesse to it. But it's not how you cook the onions. No, but at a stage they had chefs in there. Absolutely. And so they developed the burger. And now we break this down and work out how do we get people that haven't got 20 years of culinary expertise to be able to replicate this 100 times. And if we think about it in every business, where is the bit that requires the highest skill? And then how do we break that down and simplify it? The digital agency, it was sellable and it still is sellable because we can teach 20-year-olds how to build a digital strategy. Now, you need to finesse throughout it, but the system and the process, and this is what I'm trying to get at, is the chef is in there at the very start and along the way, but it's not the person, he or she is not the person actually building the checklist or the step-by-step because it should be the personal, you know, the 20-year-old with the digital strategy 
Because if you can combine the top level knowledge with the implementation or the entry level understanding, that's when a system sings. And then you start to get to the point of even if you can't replicate or systemize the whole genius in the system, you can then scale parts of it. So you see a lot of law firms, which 20 years ago would be unheard of outsourcing to overseas markets, but they found a way in terms of breaking down the way they operate to go, well, if we got this part of our process, we can actually outsource research, we can outsource this, we can, we've systemized how we need our business to do that. So if you're sitting there bored out of your brain going, oh, the last thing I want to think about is systems and process, I just want to be growth and doing TV interviews. No, no, no. This is where you need to look at where can I find an advantage by systemizing parts of my business or teaching others without that 1% skill to do parts of it. Because if you can find those advantages, you are so far ahead in terms of what it does internally for your business. But most businesses don't operate like that. They look at systems as, yeah, we did that system thing once upon a time with a consultant. Where is it? Oh, it's in that folder down there on the shelf. That's not what we're talking about here. Right now it is, where can we find a strategic advantage by basically creating IP, which allows us to operate with economic advantage by the way we operationally do things differently, which is very exciting when you get to that point. And systems and processes, I know a lot of people often, as you said before, they don't want to be corporatized, so they go against that. But what I've found through experience myself is the more systems and processes you have in place, it allows the personality of the team to sit on top because you're not worried about, am I forgetting this step, this step, this step? You go, well, those steps are already in place. Now, all I have to worry about is making the experience as good as possible. So it's actually more freeing from my own personal experience. We always talk about it as here are the boundaries for you to operate within. However, however you want to operate within them is up to you. There's no pressure and boundaries aren't a bad thing. Boundaries are a good thing. So you make sure, as you say, you hit everything, you've got the right elements in there, the right tone, whatever it needs to be, but you get to be who you are. And this whole idea of writing everything down. So good operators, when problems come up in your business, you don't solve the problem and get on with it. You analyze where it came from where the system failed to allow that to happen. And this is the big change that great businesses make, which is we're not running away from problems or trying to solve them to get on with the growth. We're looking at what broke down to get here. So as everyone knows who's been listening to this podcast, I love Formula One. If a tyre explodes, which happened a few weeks ago in the Grand Prix, they're not sitting there going, oh, well, that was just unlucky because it was a lot hotter and we weren't expecting it. They're looking at the compound of the tyre versus the drag versus the heat varieties depending on turns and whatever it is. So they're looking at all the analytics and data based on what could have contributed then to work out, is it something we need to address? And whether the resources to fix that from ever happening again is worth the time and effort right now compared to the advantage of that. That's the decision we all need to make in our business. Everything needs fixing or can be improved. It's what's good enough right now compared to the things that have most impact. And having tight systems and processes and people that are bought into using them, by the way, then you can start to make those decisions because things stay more consistent. So you can focus on areas that change. If there is inconsistency in so many areas of your big business, you never know what to focus on or where the energy could be focused on. As we've said before, you've got to allow some fires to burn in your business. That's growth. You can't do everything all the time. No one's got that resource. That's the key with becoming obsessed with systemization, writing everything down and teaching people how to use these things. When people first come in, the reaction against systems go, I don't want to, I don't have the time to write them down. And I myself go through that. But what I do, because a lot of my stuff is based around technology, I video everything and then I get it created. So the job of the person or the owner of the business isn't really to create the systems themselves, it's to get them created. Now, that may be them doing it themselves sometimes or handing off to their star performer in those areas as well. I think that's then comes down to the third principle we want to discuss, which is- What a segue. <laughs> well, we want to delegate. And I, I agree and disagree in some ways because your job is to literally write down the problem 
and put it somewhere. So we use, you know, engineering lists. Here are all the things happening in our business. Now let's prioritize that list weekly and what needs to happen in order to hit our strategic goals. So some things we know is a problem in our business, they're left there for months because they're not as big as a challenge of fixing something else. So we write everything down. That's important. And also the other thing is, and Nigel brings up a good point, his preference for the way he operates is to use visual means, video, and he's a creative guy. But what I need for my business is it written down. So he can operate how he wants as long as I get what I need. Yep. The second part of the process for me is yeah. using the transcription, bring that down for the visual learners or the people that need to read and understand. Yeah. So when you're leading a company, and we'll talk about this third principle, which is delegation, because this is generally done really poorly. And I, I really do like the way that Ivan puts it, which is you have to delegate both responsibility and authority. We've been using the phrase delegation isn't the absence of responsibility. Just because you delegate it doesn't mean you're not responsible for it. And the nuance that we got out of that conversation this week, Nigel, was everyone who has a position should have 95% authority of that position, which is it is your responsibility now you've got it, but you get that 5% where you can come and access the CEO, the founder, your, your direct report, whatever it is. But it's making sure that people can take full control and responsibility. And that's the tough part because a lot of particularly newer business owners or business leaders will delegate the responsibility. They'll give 100% of the responsibility away, but they'll only give 50% or 30% of the authority. So they're micromanaging the process, which really undervalues and undermines the person trying to create that system. Yeah. And if you can't delegate to somebody because you don't think they have the ability to do it, then don't delegate it to them delegate part of a task. So this isn't having to give someone everything. This is about, I've got a pretty immature company here. I've got maybe some young people in or it's an innovative company, so we've never done this sort of thing before. So you might have to start breaking tasks down into subtasks and giving authority to a part of the process. Because if you're controlling everything and you're proud of that, well, you're just going to slow your growth down at some stage. And for me personally, this is the difference between the boss and the leader. And so a leader might have a meeting once a week and everyone who's working on a project presents where they're at. So it gives them full authority. It gives them full accountability, but it also keeps the leader in the loop. If the leader sees that something is not getting done week after week, that's the 5% where they step in versus a boss either gives it all away, but then actually gives them nothing to do with it or refuses to give anything. This is why we talk about people respect leaders because they're allowed to do their job, but they feel they've got a safety net. And also as a leader, it's your business. So at the end of the day, if it doesn't get delivered, it is your problem. But a good leader is one that allows their team to do it and achieve. And if they fall short, their help is there. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Lana? We've had this in all of our businesses, and it's more around us than anyone else in the businesses, which is what is your style of leadership as the person who owns the business? So what is actual delegation? I think we all have to look at ourselves and go, how do I delegate and what do I delegate? Because the first thing is when we're a smaller business, as I said, it might be parts of something you need to do. Others, which we see this all the time, people who struggle with sales in smaller businesses, they decide to delegate all of the sales responsibility. I'll just get a BDM in. And it's what we would consider, um, I don't want to say a fool's errand. I want to say that you're responsible for everything in your business. The growth is part of that. So if you're having trouble, say, with sales, don't think you can just pay for someone who's going to come in and fix it. You can pay people to do that. But you have to understand the fundamentals of what you're trying to achieve. So if you can't even articulate what you're after, that's where a lot of the problems come. There's nothing wrong with getting a BDM, by the way. The problem is when you're not clear on what you need that asset to do in your business. And a lot of the time, because it's confusing for the business owner, they're delegating something they actually don't know the outcome they're actually after. And you need to work that out. That is a you problem. And you have to get clear on what the outcome you expect from everything that you're delegating. That doesn't mean you can't ask the person who's responsible to come back with their deliverables be. But this is a key thing. Poor leadership is poor delegation. And poor delegation is not having a clear vision of what you're trying to address. Yeah, there's almost a difference between um, people confusing delegation and outsourcing. 
<laughs> so you're like get a BDM to fix your sales problem. In. That's not delegation. That's outsourcing. That's giving your problem to somebody else and going, fix it for me. Delegation would be that same problem going, well, the system I have is delivering a return. I'm going to bring someone in and delegate the responsibility of using that system and improving upon it. I think, Nigel, a lot of smaller businesses give themselves an out. So this is a very simple way to calibrate all of this. You're the CEO of the company and your job is to deliver the quarterly results. And if a lot of you out there are thinking, but I don't have quarterly results, well, there's your first challenge. You need to start planning your quarters and efforts better. If you've got no plan, what are you actually doing here? You have to start planning and this is what I'm going to achieve. Now, when you know what you've got to achieve for your business, these are the outcomes that are the highest priority. This is what we want to do and this is how we're going to achieve it. When you delegate, what you're saying is, I believe this resource in my company is the person who can deliver this. But if they don't deliver it, you as the CEO have failed. You have not delivered the results. You're the one that needs to be analysed around whether you should be leading the company. And this is this whole thing with smaller businesses and owners. They believe they're beyond reproach. Well, I own the business. I can't get sacked. I always behave as though I have a board to answer to. And we do have board members, by the way. But at the moment, there's a balance of power because I own the company. (laughs) But I like to think about whether I can keep my job. And I like to have that scrutiny on myself because it always keeps me fresh in terms of making decisions. So if Lana takes something on or Lana grabs a part of it, she's responsible to deliver that. If she doesn't deliver it, well, it's awkward, but I might have to sack my wife. Or if I don't do what she needs in order to deliver her position, she might need to say, I don't want to work for you. You're not the person who can deliver this. Most smaller businesses, they don't operate in that way. They just operate with, well, we've had another okay quarter. We'll just see how we go next quarter. And I think it's important also to know the flip side of this. So if we're talking about leaders and business owners, but actually as an employee or a team member, if you're the one who's delivering, if you have a experienced leader, they're going to know if you're not delivering. So you might not be locking in meetings, you might not be doing the work, and you might think that because nothing's been said, you've almost gotten away with it. A leader with experience will know it. They might not say anything, but they will actually know what's going on. If you've been delegated something, the responsibility that comes with it is huge. And so you should actually be really proud of it. And if you don't know how to do something, that's the 5%. That's where you go to the leader and ask. But if you think that you've been delegated something and you're almost hiding, just be aware that a strong leader actually knows that that's the case and they might not delegate to you again in the future. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of your role as a leader is seeing where people are avoiding their responsibility. And we're talking particularly about smaller companies here because I think as you get bigger, you bring in more focused talent so they understand what they have to do. They've had experience. But a lot of smaller companies where you've bought people through for years and years, they've only ever been learning within your company environment. And that's one of the challenges of smaller companies going through breakthrough periods is some people may not have adopted or learned the skills they need to to play at the different level, which is difficult. And so it's an emotional discussion, which is you don't know how to perform at this level right now. And we can either help train you or you can't take that role. Because I I see it a lot in our companies too, not specifically our guys right here, but ones we've owned in the past. People try and do the right thing, but you can see they're clearly not focused on the key objective because if they were, they wouldn't be wasting their time on things that they value because they think that's important. Where at the end of the day, As a CEO, all that matters is what I have to achieve for this quarter. And if that's not done, well, then you have to start questioning everyone who was involved in the thing that was either not achieved or just we missed out on on our targets. And this is the problem. When you take responsibility for that and you miss them, what is your, not excuse, but how do you explain that to the leader of the company why you missed? And that's a huge skill. And it's something that, I personally think we all need to embrace is it's okay not to have achieved your target. If you have put in the energy and the effort and it just didn't happen. Disagree. I know you do and that's fine. <laughs> um, as a leader, you you want someone if they've not achieved in talking marks, you want them to come to you with the why and the solution. Because if they put all their energy and effort into it and you know they did the six things a thousand times, 
from my point of view, if they were able to come back and say these six things did not work from the delegation, but here are the other six that I'm going to go for again, to me that's a win in a small growing company. Let me give you the only caveat that I can find a reason to accept that (laughs) is because in a smaller company you might all be learning and you may have over-exaggerated what you can achieve in a quarter that might take six months. But when you start to become more experienced and people take responsibility for a result, there is no excuse for missing it. Because if people come and go, listen, I missed it this quarter, but here's the six things I'm going to do next quarter, and go, whoa, 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 why do you assume you've still got a job? If it's right and people are under-delivering, oh, because you know I got distracted with this and we had this, and they go, no, no, no. That shows that you're not capable yet of doing that. I'm not going to give you another shot at it. You don't get more rope. And this is the thing, because if you get through the quarter, it shouldn't be a surprise at the end of the quarter whether something was achieved. And this is the thing, and I understand what Lana's talking about, because particularly in smaller companies when we're learning all this, there is that little bit of rope because you might be developing something or doing something. And and generally, people over-exaggerate what they think they can do in a single quarter. So that's where you've got to make a decision is, right person, wrong goal, because we're still on track, it just took longer. But the thing I always look for is if we miss what we went for, I evaluate what we just spoke about, but then I look at, but what have they done to try and achieve it? What have they changed? What have they done that's going to catch up? If the answer is we just missed it, that's a problem because you should not have surprises in your company. that do six things a thousand times seems like you just go, okay, cool, I'll just go out and do it. And so let's just use a cold calling sales example of that. If you've done the, we'll call the six phone calls a thousand times and not got the result you want, but you've not at some point gone, well, I've just made every call from between 10 and 12 every day. And they haven't at some point gone after 200 calls, go, I'm going to try calling in the afternoon for 200 calls and see if that gives me a different result. Then you go, okay, cool, you're out. But if they have made that experience and have tried to that, what's your thought in there? As I said with the start, effort's the first thing that when you're trying something new, we put enough volume in. At the end of the day, your company will get to a maturity stage where effort's not rewarded because effort's the standard. And then when you've hit the standard, all that matters is the outcome. All you're judged on is the result. No one gets a gold star for effort. When you're growing, effort's important because we're doing a lot of experiments. But if you've been doing it for too long that effort is the thing you reward, then you reward mediocrity. You are going to be people that are constantly celebrating non-mastery because you're not looking to fix it. Who cares about the effort if it never yields a result? You'd be better off not having that resource there. It's hard because it's very difficult sometimes to think about this, but even look at yourself as a a leader. Where are you championing mediocrity? At some stage, you have to say all that matters is a result. And if you're not achieving results or moving forward, you're probably doing the wrong thing. This is this whole worry I have with hustle. People are so busy because something might click and there's nothing wrong. Hustle is important. Hustle's the game we're all playing. It's absolutely vital. But this is also why all the principles operate together. Because the first thing that was said when we were talking about what we actually reward with persistence is. You get the gold star for the hard work first off, but after that, it's all about results. And so if the result is there, that's what you should be celebrating. And that's why we don't mind the mundane or the, the less than bright and shiny. To my point of delegation and making sure that this person has achieved their goals, if you're a good leader, you, the 5% that you're giving this person in a small business who is learning, they won't miss their goal. Now, when you go to a bigger business, that's what you're talking about. It is a specialist who is never going to miss their goals because that's what they do. And I think that these are the two sides of business is the one that is learning to grow and the one that's actually growing. Yeah, and I think it's the evolution also of the owner. When you're a smaller company, you're happy with people putting effort in, but you have to at some stage go, well, if the effort's not yielding reward, is it the strategy or the person? And both are right as long as one of them gets replaced. And that's the distinct difference between learning to grow and grow. Yeah, you actually have to change the variables. And sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you go, I shouldn't have got rid of that person, but at least it moved forward. 
or we shouldn't have changed that strategy, fine, but at least you didn't do the same thing over and over, running the same experiment. We come up to businesses that have had the same, say, salespeople in there, and they are so far off the mark of acceptable for the efforts that they're producing to the resources, but they've been there for so many years that it's just part of the furniture, but it's not. It's like you cannot fall into that trap of everyone just being, oh, it's just the way we all operate. You must be shifting that paradigm. You must be shifting the ingredients that will change the solution you need to achieve. I think this is a really big one. And and we spoke, Ivan specifically spoke about that is he knew every number on a daily basis that was sent to him from all around the world. He can tell you in real time, every morning, exactly what his organization is doing down to the number of people in every one of the chapters. Now, he's running a global organization. Have a think about in your business, what numbers you don't get daily, let alone weekly, let alone monthly, let alone quarterly, because then he knows where to put his energy and effort to delegate, to move, to change, or who's not performing so he can either assist or change, which is simple principles, but this is the simplicity. They're executed in his organization daily to the same standard, which I think is really a superpower. In reflection, it was a really great conversation and we again thank Dr. Meisner for his time because I think seeing someone who executes fundamentals well is testament to the organization that's been built, the success of the organization and I think, Nigel, I can't remember the stat off the, t- the top of my head, but I think it was 30 straight years of growth. 35 years of continuous growth. That's much better than my yeah. stat, which is <laughs> to, in order to do that, you know there's some magic somewhere in there. And I hope from the discussion today with some of the core principles that we took from this and that we see in our daily building of our companies that you can apply them to yours. Nigel, Lana, thanks again. Let's do it all again next week. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show for this week, and thanks for listening, team. As always, you can head on over to backable.ai to access all the downloadables we put together. Now, if you enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and if you have a minute, please leave a review. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodemo, why not join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the description below. That's all from us for now. Have a great week, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye. Bye.